0: for joining me for this journey through scripture. We're using the reading plan provided by the North Alabama Conference of the United Methodist Church for Read Together 2021. These are my thoughts on these passages of scripture. I'm just going to share them randomly like popcorn. You're welcome to slow down to push pause to dive in as deep as you would care to do so. Let's get started. Galatians is one of several letters that Paul writes to churches. You may know that the author, the date, and the audience of many of the books of the Bible are disputed among biblical scholars, but Paul is pretty much the undisputed author of the letter to the Galatians that we have in the New Testament. It wasn't until I began to research that I discovered that the letter to the Galatians is pretty foundational to many forms of Christian doctrine, proclamation, and practice. It's also pretty central to a couple of Christian heresies, including the Marcian heresy and the Gnostic heresy. One of the things that is disputed about the letter is the audience. We know that the letter was written to the churches in Galatia, and that Galatia is a region, so it was written to a number of churches. The problem comes with the use of the Greek word for Galatia. Greek writers used Galatia and Celts almost interchangeably. In Paul's lifetime, the Roman province of Galatia stretched from the heart of Asia Minor from Pontus on the Black Sea to Pamphylia on the Mediterranean Sea. So there are theories that impact the date of the letter regarding this. Some biblical scholars believe he was writing to the churches in the area of North Galatia, and there were some who believed he was writing to South Galatia. And in fact, issues around the the audience and the date of this letter take up 69 pages in my favorite commentary on this book alone. Now, Deriving some doctrinal insight and some spiritual benefit from the letter to the Galatians is not really dependent on working all these issues out, but it will help us know that our questions that come up around date and timeline and what's going on in the world to which he's writing will help us know that biblical scholars ask some of those same questions and we just don't have all of the answers. The most natural interpretation of the biographical information about Paul that we have in this book is that he wrote those statements prior to the Council at Jerusalem, which happened in um, CE 49, Common Era, or AD 49. The scholars I mentioned earlier with the North and South Galatia theories date it a little differently. Those who be, who subscribe to the northern Galatia audience believe that Paul wrote this letter during his third missionary journey, which would place it between the years 53 and 58. Those who subscribe to the southern Galatia audience theory, who believed he wrote it to a group of churches in southern Galatia, believe he penned it early in his second missionary journey, which would place it in the years either 49 or 50. But like I said, the most natural reading seems to be that he penned this letter, or at least most of it, um, prior to that council at Jerusalem, and that's what we hear him talking about. So let's jump in. This week we're reading verses uh, chapters 1 through 4. Let me talk a little bit about Paul identifying himself as an apostle The use of the word apostle is not limited to the 12 disciples. I kind of grew up with that idea that only the 12 disciples were called apostles, but the New Testament Christians use the word apostle fairly liberally um, to designate someone who is a messenger, an envoy, a delegate, someone who has been sent out, called of God to, to deliver a message. The Jewish view of um, Apostle was not so much a personal delegated authority, but more of a um, a, a proper designated authority. They used it a lot to refer to um, naval expeditions um, and those kinds of military purposes. Um, we would have, which sounds really odd to our ears because we always think about it in a religious context. There was also the Jewish view that we hear about in the Talmud, which are Jewish writings. And this idea of an apostle is very comparable to the institution of Saliyah, um, which was also delegated authority. There's even a quote that says, A man Saliyah is as the man himself, so someone who could act on behalf of someone with all the authority that that original person had a Salia could even enter into marriage for a person. So the idea of the New Testament that an apostle is someone called of God, sent to carry the gospel to people, who carries all the authority of the original um, sender. So uh, an apostle is called and sent of God with all the authority of God to um, instruct people and bring them in to Christian faith. I believe that Paul writes this letter to churches that he founded, and we see the stories of him finding them most likely in Acts chapter 13 and 14. He wants to be very sure that we know there is no other gospel than the one that they have been preached. There was a danger of adhering to a teaching that wasn't consistent with the message that Paul had given them. And he really does defend his um, apostleship, his desire to call him so. We find a summary of Paul's entire emphasis in this letter in Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is justified, not by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. He's addressing primarily Gentile Christians, believers who did not grow up in the Jewish faith and then come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but people who were never Jewish in the first place. And yet there are teachers coming in and saying that they should be following some of the Jewish rules. They should keep some of the law in order to be good Christians. And one of those in particular was the need to be circumcised. And Paul is going to argue that that is not the case. We don't come to Jesus by coming through Judaism. We come to Jesus by coming straight to Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2, he does talk about a summit in Jerusalem where they all got their heads together and they decided that circumcision would not be required there. I have always found it interesting that Paul stays in conversation and in cooperation with the original disciples in Jerusalem. It would have been very easy for him to just break fellowship and say, no, God called me, and I'm going to go do this, and if y'all don't like it, y'all do your own thing. But he didn't feel like that was a possibility. Christians had to work together and be united in mission and purpose, in heart and love, and in yielding to the Holy Spirit. So I think about that often as I think about how we have continued to split and splinter throughout Christian history because we disagreed over something that would have been as important, circumcision was as important to these new Christians as they discerned how to live, as some of the issues that we have split over down through Christian history. The focus is really on... um, Jewish-Gentile relationships? How do we have a, a church made up of people who are very different, who hold very different ideas on what it means to be a faithful Christian? I don't know how I could have read this without thinking of our current political climate. How do we have churches that are made up of Republicans and Democrats and all the other um, smaller political parties who have very different ideas about how we should live as faithful Christians. And so Paul is navigating that from the very beginning. This is not a new issue coming to us in the Christian faith. In chapter 3, he goes on to make the point that it can become very, very difficult to resist legalism and ritualism in our lives. Um, Rituals are not bad, but the power of the ritual is the connection to God, how it brings us close to God, how it helps us better hear what God is saying to us through God's Holy Spirit. There's no power in and of the ritual itself. Think about when we take communion we ask that God would pour out His Holy Spirit upon these gifts of bread and wine, that they might be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we might be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by His blood. There is nothing particularly holy or miraculous about that little wafer and that tiny little glass of grape juice. But for many of us, communion has been an amazingly powerful time in our lives. It's something that if I don't have it for long, I deeply, deeply miss it. The same thing would be true of baptism. Last week in worship, we um, remembered our baptism. Even though we pray over the water, the water itself does not contain the power. It is the power of God using the water. So Paul makes the argument that the law that the Jews lived under and that we find in the Old Testament, the power of the, the rules and the rituals in the law was to connect us with God, to see ourselves clearly as God sees us, and to experience God's love and grace and bring us to a point of wanting to be obedient. He now makes the argument that we don't live under the law. Now we experience the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to help us live a life of faithful discipleship. Um, for me, I, keep, I gravitate toward um, chapter 3, verses 28. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. All of those things that divided, who was in, who was out, who God loved, who God didn't, who got opposed, who God blessed, all those dividing lines have been removed in Jesus Christ. There are no more fences to keep us in against our will or to keep people out when they want in. Chapter 4 says, we are adopted. We are redeemed from slavery to sin and from ritual observance. And we are redeemed to become part of a loving family relationship. And he makes a contrast of um, Hagar and her son Ishmael versus Sarah and her son um, Isaac there. And for Paul, Hagar represents Mount Sinai and Jerusalem, the, the law, the ritual observances, that um, slavery to sin and ritual observance. And Sarah's son, Isaac, the, the child of the free woman, has free children, and we are freed from all of that legalism and observance. So those are the first four chapters of Galatians and the things that um, rose to the surface for me. I will be interested to hear what rises to the surface for you.